This is episode number 169 of the Rising Man Podcast with Dylan Smith. If you want to change your life outside, start by looking inside. Welcome back to the show, Rising Man family. Thanks for joining me here today. Jetty Azuma here checking in behind the mic again. Much love to all of you guys out there. Thanks for tuning in each and every week. If you haven't gone to the website in a while, please go to risingman.org. Check out all the amazing opportunities we have for you to level up your life today and keep challenging yourself to raise the standard of the man that you want to be. Risingman.org. Go check it out. All right. My guest for today is Dylan Smith. Dylan Smith is a certified Ayurvedic practitioner and holistic health educator based in Sydney, Australia, where he runs and operates the Vital Veda Clinic for patients and for those who love to nourish themselves with precious herbal elixirs. Aimed at uncovering the root cause of ailments, Dylan shares wisdom through his podcast, teaching programs, and travels the world to share his holistic passion to teach patients to effortlessly integrate foundational techniques into their daily lives so they can thrive. Regularly traveling to India to train with an internationally renowned family of Ayurvedic doctors, Dylan is devoted to learning, sharing, and radiating this ancient knowledge for everyone to utilize and enjoy to experience total wellness and bliss. In this episode, I brought Dylan back for a quick part two after he dropped some heavy wisdom on us for his first interview a few weeks ago. In this one, I wanted to drop deeper into the implications of men's and women's reproductive health on our society, future, and overall individual well-being. Specifically, we talked about how men can be better supporters and allies for women during menstruation. Big wisdom here, guys. Big wisdom here for men in intimate partnerships with women, so pay attention. We also addressed the topic of menstruating women and ceremony, something that we touched on in our last conversation with Chief Philip Scott, and I asked for Dylan to give us an Ayurvedic perspective on the subject. Dylan also educated us on the cyclical nature of energy, the up and down energies, and how we ought to be more mindful of which is which. Lastly, Dylan continued to reveal important information about men's reproductive health, including vasectomies, ejaculation, masturbation, and more. Without further ado, Dylan Smith. All right, guys, I've got Dylan Smith back here again. I don't know for those of you who either did or did not get to hear the first conversation Dylan and I had. It was such a compelling dialogue that I told you even in the episode that we had to bring you back and <laughs> we made it happen right away, man. So, but we're going to start off this episode in a very unconventional way. You said you have a question you want to ask me to start. Yes. So <laughs> I'll hand it over to you, man. What do you got? Yeah, I just a question about learning from your indigenous background and what is the significance of the mohawk ponytail that you have and what does it mean to you? Oh, what does it do for you? That's a good question. So it's not actually connected to my spirituality directly or any religious or spiritual beliefs that I have. It's sort of just the way I always wanted to express myself since I was younger. I always saw myself this way when I was a kid and I just never had the guts or the permission to express myself this way. And so it was a very gradual process. Uh, you know, when I first, I used to just have long hair and I would shave the sides right by my sideburns. And then little by little over the years, the sideburns got higher and higher and higher. And then at some point I just took the plunge and I just went for it all the way. And that was when I really felt like I was how I wanted to present myself in the world. So that, that's really the significance it holds. It's just who I am. This is how I feel most me. Okay. And you have indigenous background? No, no, not Native American. No, my family is okay. from Japan and Italy. All right. Because mm -hmm. even um, the Native Americans, they also have that, mm -hmm. right? They mm -hmm. have that like Mohawk and- Some do, yeah. It's actually, you know, like that's a called the glymphatic system. So it's like a lymph in the brain and 
kind of the wisdom behind that culture is that it protects that lymph, that important lymph in the brain, which is responsible for draining toxins from the brain, including emotional toxins that are stored in fat cells. Wow. <laughs> so specifically that strip on the top of the head? Yeah, it's called the sagittal sinus yeah. and it's like, yeah, it goes along the center of the brain. So that's kind of like protects it. <laughs> that's my new reason why. <laughs> so whoever asked me that question next, I did not know that. And that's very cool. You have an enhanced lymphatic system in your brain, basically. So that's a good positive. I'll take it, man. Yeah. I wonder if that's going to set off a trend now. We'll see a bunch more people with the braided mohawk style. <laughs> well, that's great, man. Thanks for sharing that bit. You know, our last conversation, we barely got to squeeze in what I think is one of the most important conversations for men to be having now about how women's health is something that men should also be considering. And you had said it to me before we even started recording. You said women's health is human issue. We all come from women. And I was like, I love that. Right off the mm -hmm. bat, I was like, I like this guy. And I wanted to have you back again because I think that's something that I know we haven't talked about on this podcast. And I don't think that many other men's podcasts or men's organizations are really speaking about. We talk about safety for women. We talk about how we can show up for women and the feminine in a little bit of a different capacity. But really thinking about women's health. So I just wanted to open that back up and for you to introduce why you think that's important and how you see it for starters. Yeah. So as you said, the women are the ones who birthed the humans and we now have an epidemic of chronic disease. One in two men will get cancer in their life. One in three women will get cancer in their life. Autism is skyrocketing eye diseases, premature blindness, macular degeneration, infertility, autoimmune disorders. You know, you guys know who's listening to it. And you know, Jetty, like you're just seeing in this increase of disease and people are you know, coming to my clinic more and more with deeper conditions and thyroid disorders, it goes on. So we're clearly in a state of epidemics all around the world of various diseases. And we need to then attend to preventative medicine in order to prevent these from occurring because there was a study in the a famous medical journal called nature can't remember the date but it was maybe 2016 or 2012 and the study showed that 90 or this was about cancer it said 90 percent of all cancer is lifestyle related it was brought on by the way that they were living their lifestyle mm. and you know a similar high statistic can be said for all these chronic diseases and with that can be prevented because it's brought on by lifestyle. So we need to, you know, prevent through so many ways that, you know, we talk about in Ayurveda and in holistic medicine and natural medicine and preventative medicine, but the ultimate preventative medicine, of course it is, you know, okay, I'm going to prevent these things by eating good and living a good lifestyle, living in tune with nature cycles, sleeping well, reducing the stress in my life and also increasing my capability to be able to metabolize stress through increasing my establishment in my core. So that stress is just like nothing for me. I'm rooted in the absolute. So nothing can make or break me. Mm. But as well as that, the ultimate preventative medicine is before the human is birthed into the world. And because they come from the seed of their parents, you know, they are the seed of their parents. When the man and the woman conceive, it's his seed, which is his sperm and her ovum is making that future human. So one aspect is preconception. That's so important in Ayurveda is what is the state of both of their seeds? Mm. We call it bija. Bija means seed. And we need to purify their seeds and make them as healthy before conception. But it goes even before that because it goes to the woman's menstrual cycle. Every 
menstrual cycle of a woman is creating the future offspring. So every period a woman has is not only important, which by the way, most women don't give the importance to and honor it. And definitely most men don't. <laughs> it's not only helping their hormones and helping them to go ahead at the year ahead. So if you really honor your cycle as a woman and as a man, if we really honor that menstrual cycle for women, they, their month ahead will be much more powerful. Their ovulation will be much more powerful, which is not only for having a child reproducing, but it's ovulation is your shakti. It's your divine feminine energy. It's your capability to have infinite organizing power and your ability to give abundance and support. So it's kind of like pulling back the bow. If we can pull back the bow during the menstruation and really honor that and rest and cultivate that deep creative energy that is available in that life generating material of the menstrual period, we let the bow go and that month ahead is so much more powerful. So as men, if we can learn to honor these cycles of a woman's life, that is going to create a future human being when they do reproduce. And we can even go more into the society level, like not only to reproduce, women also hold space for the community. They have that mother quality. And even if they're not having a child, and even if the woman's past her childbearing years or not plan to have any children, they still hold that, that core for the whole society. So before we blow it up to that societal level, because that's exactly where my mind goes. I'm like, man, there's multi-generational implications of this if we really blow it up. But even just, you know, I told my wife right after our last podcast, I said, hey, I just interviewed this guy, Dylan. He kind of blew my mind with some of these perspectives he had. And I started talking to her about her menstrual cycle, which it's not like we hide it. It's nothing she's ashamed of. We talk openly about it. I would say that on the scale of consciousness around this, we're a bit more conscious than the average person around that. But we never really had this conversation about how can I support you better during that time. Beautiful. And the reality was, if I'm being honest, it's that I didn't think that it was important enough for me to make that kind of time to support her. Even though I had heard her talk about how tired she gets and how overwhelmed she is when she's on her period and she has to look after the kids, it's so overwhelming for her. And if I'm being really, really honest, most of the time, I just interpret that as how that's an inconvenience for me because now she's asking for more from me. But we had this great conversation about, well, even if I can't put everything down that I'm doing so that you can just disappear for three days while you're on your period, even if it's not that, because that's the other problem I have is I say, well, I can't do that. So don't do anything at all. What could it look like? And we started to just have a real simple solutions oriented conversation. How can I support you better? She's like, well, if you could just you know, put the kids to bed on those nights so I can get to bed early or do the dishes, make dinner. And I'm like, yeah, I can totally handle that. Why didn't we have this conversation sooner? So I want to thank you for that, number one, and also just talk about what can it look like for men, whether we're in partnership or not, because I don't think it has to be. It's very obvious if it's your intimate partner, but even just the women around us to be more mindful, to be more considerate of that time. Because I think historically, it's more about shaming. That's something that's dirty that we don't want to know about. I even remember having my own feelings about that. Like, Ugh, I don't really want to try to even get to know that. Yeah. And also, like you alluded to a bit earlier, is like, I just don't want to be with my partner during that time. I wish we could just yeah go. I wish I could just go away. She's so emotional. I can't handle it. And totally. you're right. That's actually time where you need to be extra attentive right. and really practice your divine masculine of really being able to come to her level and have an experience of unity, which is compassion of what is she experiencing and mm. 
And I love how you've had that conversation with your wife and your wife is so lucky. And <laughs> she was pumped. She's like, yeah, you got to have this guy on again. <laughs> I, told, I told her, I was like, we didn't get to finish the conversation. She goes, make sure you have him on again. <laughs> yeah. So I think we first have to understand that for many, many years, for many, many eras, women have honored the menstrual blood as this essential life generating material, which is willed by the moon. And it's to cleanse and purify their inherent, which we call Shakti, which means their divine feminine energy. To be able to honor it, we need to understand what is it? Like it is this thing which cleanses and purifies their innate Shakti, which is a divine feminine energy, which when that's cleansed and purified, then new and fragrant life can blossom like ovulation or the rest of the month. And during that time, in order to cleanse and purify that Shakti and also all the physical, not just the subtle energetic feminine things, but all the physical things are happening, but it is more of a subtle, more of a subtle energy, which is being cleansed. They need to be able to rest. Basically, we have this energy along the axis of our body, along the axis of our spine. You can say, you know, better we call it Vata. It's the energy of movement and it's the energy of elimination. So eliminating urine, feces, menstrual blood, and even eliminating a child when you're giving birth. This is the responsibility of this energy, this downward energy called Vata. And it's on an axis. So we have the bottom of the axis at the pelvic region and we have the top at our head. The energy can move up or down and we want downward energy, basically. We want downward flow of this Vata so that the menstrual blood goes out well and the woman is properly purified. So in order for that, we want the energy going downward. They need to reduce using their mind too much, you know, reduce stress, reduce thinking too much, reduce studying, reduce working, reduce solving problems. Because that pulls the energy upward is what you're saying? Exactly. Uh -huh. Yeah. And that's why, you know, in Hong Kong, they allow, I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's Hong Kong. Once a month, they give a woman a day off and that's for their first day of their menstrual cycle. In Hong Kong? Yeah. I wow. Believe. Really? That's like a legal thing where every woman gets one day off a month and they can use that on their first day. So that's, again, you don't want to be using your mind too much. You want to just rest and allow that downward flow and proper purification of the blood. So this is a reason for them to rest. And, you know, whether that means putting the kids to bed or cooking for her, whatever she needs, as much as she can rest and also giving her space, because this is such a powerful time for inward it's a very creative energy. So they naturally become more introvert and want to be more inward. So we want to kind of allow that and reduce the socializing. So then that's another way we can deal with women who aren't our partner mm. is like I more when I was, I guess before I was with my current, when I was single, just my friends, not women that I would be dating, but my friends when I, I guess I was hanging out with more women now that I'm with my partner, I'm more just with her most of the time. But I would like to know, like I was slowly accumulating in my head when each of their menstrual cycle is because when it was, mm -hmm. I would just leave them alone. Like I wouldn't invite them to a music concert or a gig because I want them to honor their menstrual cycle and rest at home rather than having that option and that pull to come to the gig. Although they know maybe I should rest, but I kind of want to go to the gig. I don't even want to offer that to them. Right, right. So just honoring you on your cycle. Okay, let's allow you to rest and no need to come to the drumming tonight or no need to come to the party tonight. Just rest and, you know, not getting them to go for a hike because women will be shy. They won't express. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm on my cycle. I'd rather not. 
But when you meet the conscious women, definitely women are starting to do that. And that's wonderful that I have friends like that. It's like, I'm on my moon. I'm not going to come tonight. I'm just going to rest. Well, there's a part of this I think is really important to discuss. And although I'm not native by blood, I do spend a lot of time in traditional ceremony. And the belief and the teaching I've gotten most of the time is that women who are menstruating or on their moon time are not supposed to be present for these other high ceremonies. And the teaching is the way I understand it is that the menstruation is already considered a ceremony, you know, a little bit outside of the scientific realm, but more of the spiritual metaphysical realm. It's such a powerful ceremony. And to bring that energy into a space that is a different ceremony can be, I guess, conflicting in a sense. And it's been interesting because in a lot of the communities I participate in, there's often mixes of people who are more traditional, who were born and raised practicing these ceremonies, who understand this, this is what they were taught. And then there's some more of the Western colonialized folks who they hear something like that. And anytime some of these women hear, you're not allowed to do this or you're not welcome here, it triggers, it sparks some of that resistance. I think it's just what women have had to fight for for so long. What I'm seeing is there's this older traditional teaching and belief system that's trying to communicate and be in relationship with this modern feminist supportive of women approach. And unfortunately, a lot of times it's misinterpreted as, well, it's another thing that women are not allowed to do. I wonder what your perspective is on that. It's really good you brought that up because especially hearing two men talk about it, wouldn't be like, what are you guys talking about? Yeah, what do you know? But yeah, because it's true. The menstrual period has been demonized and you can't go to ceremony, same with the indigenous culture in Australia and in the Indian indigenous culture, you can't go to temples and you can't do the ceremonies. And people have misinterpreted that as, oh, you're dirty. So you can't participate in these holy ceremonies, but that's wrong. We need to understand the essence of the interpretation and the traditional wisdom behind these recommendations. Another one is women should avoid cooking. Mm. Now this is triggering for people, but let's look at the wisdom behind that. So to the ceremonies, it goes back to that energy. You know, those ceremonies are spiritual ceremonies. Spiritual ceremonies is upward energy that's going up. The Kundalini is traveling up the spine mm. into the crown chakra, the upper chakras. So, you know, we don't want that for the women. It's counteracting. The period is downward. And I love what you said about the menstrual cycle itself is a ceremony. It's this energy which is used usually for making a life. It is life generating material, the menstrual blood. So it's a very powerful time and powerful energies are occurring emotionally and mentally. And we know that that's why it can be very different. So we don't want to interfere with that. It's so powerful that we don't want to mix another energy such as a ceremony or a temple or sex, you know, sexual energies, like especially, you know, if it's even said to avoid touching women, you know, this is really, again, triggering and like, but it's because once someone else touches you, especially in a sexual way, then you're mixing that menstrual energy, which is such an inward energy that is so powerful. We start mixing with another energy and it can be overwhelming for both parties. Mm-hmm. And it's not allowing that all the attention of the women to be on her, you know, that sacred purification of that Shakti. Well, I really appreciate the explanation of the downward and the upward energy. When I start to think about some of these other contexts that I've explored this in, it makes a lot of sense. I think there's actually some consistency across traditions and faiths around this. So I think that's always confirming for me. Maybe they're saying it a different way, but it's ultimately speaking to the same thing. I remember last time you said that 
women should avoid having sex, having intercourse during their period too. I mean, that makes sense now, right? That's an upward energy, right? That's an energy that's being received and brought upward while something else is trying to make its way down. It's like a traffic jam. And so I've never thought of any of this stuff. I've never really mm. ventured into it, but it makes a lot of sense. And I think it's something, it's, it's a broader conversation that we can all be having, not just men, obviously, but all of us. Yeah. There's kind of two ways you can approach this or a few ways, but one is look at these ancient cultures and their recommendations and trust the wisdom and surrender to it more than trust, just surrender to it and be like, oh, I don't need to know the reasoning behind this. Mm-hmm. It's a very big battle, which I have in other aspects of traditional medicine is like, do I have to get these scientifically proved by study? Well, typically they might not be for a very long time and it's very hard to put, do studies on this or can I just surrender? Like if it says, and it says in Ayurveda, it says having sex while on your menstrual period for both parties is the most inauspicious thing you can do mm. out of everything. And, you know, we could go analyze it. Typically the Western mind will, will want to intellectualize it and say why and understand the reasoning, or you could surrender. It could be something as well as like Ayurveda says, don't eat sprouts and just trust it. Or you could go look at the science and look into it. Mm. So this is this whole thing of like, do I need to approve everything with Western medicine or with science, Western science, or with my intellectual mind. Well, that brings up an interesting conversation because I know that some people are going to hear that and they're going to say, well, what about all the things that we, I mean, they used to do lobotomies and and stuff. And if we believed all of the things from the past and that there would be no room for improving upon or or understanding better. So I think there's always going to be that side of the conversation that, well, what if they didn't have it all figured out when they originally created Ayurveda, even though that's been around forever? Yeah. And it's also how you interpret the teachings. So, and also then you're reading a translated text, like you need to also understand really what is the essence of what they're saying. You know, if they say during the new moon or sorry, during the eclipse, you should be inside with all the curtains closed, right? That's what they say in the Vedic system. Mm -hmm. It actually means when they say the curtains closed or they don't say curtains, they say inside protected from the light. They mean your senses to be inside and not open towards the eclipse because the eclipse is a very powerful time where energies are occurring. Mm-hmm. So we, again, it's very similar to the menstrual cycle and eclipse as well as the new moon is there's this powerful energy that is there and we don't want to intervene with it. We want to just be in our least excited state more towards the transcendental fields so that it can play out and do its job of purification because eclipses and new moons are purification times mm-hmm. and the menstrual period is purification. And it's so powerful, we can't comprehend. That's why in Australia, the Aboriginals, the Indigenous Australians, when the women would get their period, the men would dance and leave. Mm. It was too powerful for them to handle. But it's also not like, oh, it's overwhelming. I'm a weak person. It's like, this is a powerful energy. I want to let it you know, have that purification and it's best for me to step away. Mm -hmm. So just that honoring and definitely what you mentioned with the sex and, you know, that's why during the period also we don't recommend tampons. Mm -hmm. Better have the pads or the menstrual underwear because during the period we don't want to be sticking anything up the vagina, whether it's a tampon or a penis or a menstrual cup. Mm -hmm. There's other things we can go into like, you know, it's advised not to even swim or wash excessively in the shower or in the cold water for a woman because- Again, whenever you shower, your blood circulation goes to the place where the water hits your body. So like if you put a shower, if you're having a shower and you're putting some shower on your upper shoulders, the blood goes there. 
whenever the water hits the blood flow. So again, if it's even during like advise even the first day during a period, like don't have to shower if you don't want. It's right. probably better for your health if you don't. We're also menstrual blood is fire element. We don't want to bring that water element in. Mm. We want to let the fire in. Another recommendation is why did I say about the not cooking? Better not cook, avoid gardening, because again, gardening, cooking, food is earth element. And earth is that, again, that upward growing motion mm -hmm. and it's growing, it's anabolic, but the menstrual blood is the opposite to anabolic. It's catabolic, which means anabolic means growing. So we call it in Ayurveda kapha, cooking, gardening, it's growing things, it's creating. Menstrual blood is purifying, it's cleansing. It's such a powerful conversation, man. I I'm just re-presencing myself that here we are on a podcast that's engineered and organized to support men. And we've just spoken for the first 25 minutes about menstrual cycles. First of all, I just think that's awesome that <laughs> two men are able to speak about this and also coming from a place where we're not pretending like we know what that experience is. Just having a conversation yeah. that we believe is going to support people moving forward. And my first instinct is to also say that I know for myself, gathering information is a big part of my masculine energy and then wanting to disseminate and distribute information to be helpful is sort of my instinct and just being really sensitive around sharing information, especially with my wife. I'm just thinking about saying, oh, all these things that I heard from this guy, Dylan, about this, 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 and this. There's a way to do that. I mean, even just inviting her to listen to the podcast. And to say, hey, I had this amazing conversation with Dylan, or I heard this amazing podcast. You want to listen to it together and being in relationship that way versus <laughs> what sometimes is I know myself and other men, we get some information, we want to implement it and execute it. And I don't think that would be the most supportive conversation to have with a woman around, you know, this is what I think you need to do. <laughs> it's a really good point you're bringing up. Yeah. How do you implement this knowledge? And I would say definitely like, because the women also should have the knowledge mm -hmm. ideally, but you can do so much to start, of course, things like allowing her to rest. So she doesn't even need to know that she needs to rest. She knows she does actually. So not many women are going to resist that if you offer it. <laughs> yeah. Although definitely women need to also honor that more and be like, okay, I don't need to do all these things, but you can even do so much by taking care of the kids, doing the shopping, doing the cooking. You don't need to tell her women shouldn't be cooking during their period. Ideally mm -hmm. just start cooking. Just say, Hey love, I want you to rest. You know, I feel like I want to cook this week while you're on your period or these few days. Yeah. And yeah, just always with things like that is we need to address the notion of worthy inquiry. Mm. You know, only if they have that worthy inquiry, we can educate them. And if they don't, and we start implementing our learnings and our beliefs on them or preaching, whatever you want to call it, it's going to definitely cause more damage, although it's good intended. Well, I think inquiry is always useful too, even just an invitation. That's one of the things that I find really useful and in, in my partnership is talking to my wife and just being curious, like, hey, how are you feeling today? Are you feeling a little mm. wiped out? What would be supportive of you? What do you have on your docket today? Is there anything I can help you with? There's very simple ways to be mindful and service oriented without controlling. Because I know that's one of the things that triggers my wife the most is when she feels like I'm telling her what she needs to do. <laughs> Whereas if I can just inquire and invite her to be reflective and then offer, well, is there anything I can do and let her see the opportunity, then nine times out of 10, she'll say, oh, it would be so nice if you just went and picked up the kids. Oh, it'd be so great if I could just have the night to myself, run a bath. Awesome. Yeah, totally. I got you. And I think it's great for both sides. Again, bringing this conversation back to how women's health 
concern that men should have too, and really all people, because when we're taking care of each other in that way, everyone benefits. We're mending and healing so many of these older wounds, the wounds that so many women have about not being cared for, not being seen, not feeling safe. And maybe it doesn't take just, you know, three days of cooking (laughs) to ameliorate that. But when you're doing that consistently and you're demonstrating that unprovoked awareness and care, it goes a long way. I'm sure any guy who's in a relationship knows that, that when you do the things that your partner's not expecting that are out of the ordinary, Hey, I just wanted to, I just wanted to cook tonight. Just wanted to pick up dinner. So you didn't have to worry about it. It goes a long way. Mm. Yeah, totally. Anything else about this conversation specifically related to just, I think sexual health too. I know we spoke about it a little bit last time with regards to men, we were talking a bit about the prostate, but just sexual health and healthy sexual exchanges between men and women from an Ayurvedic perspective. Is there anything else to say about that? A big thing is on the very physical level is replenishing your reproductive essence and having that strong. So as I'm sure many people know, sex can deplete you, particularly ejaculation and orgasms. So this is because you're releasing what in Ayurveda we call ojas, which is the reproductive essence. So learning how to cultivate that reproductive essence And the reproductive essence is, it's your vitality, it's your immune system, and it's your ability to reproduce. Mm. So particularly immune system and reproduction energy. So that are two things we can't live on this planet without. And it's said in Ayurveda, this reproductive essence, which is called ojas, it's a thin fluid which circulates in the body, primarily in the heart, but then it circulates. It's said in Ayurveda, if this thin fluid, the fluid in the heart removes or it reduces, the person dies. And this is the reproductive essence, which is creating that immune system and that vitality for the person. So, you know, there's so many ways through diet, lifestyle and herbs and ways of relating that we can do to build that reproductive essence Mm -hmm. in order for healthy sexual relationships in terms of stamina and reproduction power. And yeah, stamina means aphrodisiac. Aphrodisiac therapy is a very big thing in Ayurveda. Ayurveda has eight branches and anyone who's slightly studied Ayurveda knows it's absolutely huge science. It means the science of life. And I guess if anyone wants to know more about what Ayurveda is, listen to our first episode. We spoke about it, right? For sure. And one of the eight branches of this huge science is aphrodisiac therapy. And when people think aphrodisiac in the West, and when I used to hear it, they just think of ways to make you have stronger sex and better sex. But the reason why it's in one of the eight branches is because it's not just about that. It's about your reproductive power, your reproductive essence. Because as we said earlier, it's so important to be able to reproduce healthy fetuses or healthy, conceived in a healthy way so that the human being can be healthy. So that's why Ayurveda places a huge, you know, emphasis on preconception on how to do it and how to optimize both of your reproductive essence. So I guess on a more physical level, it's knowing the methods you can do for your health through diet, lifestyle, herbs, and the way you relate, the way you have sex, the frequency of having sex, when in the seasons to have sex, all of this will determine your ojas, we can call it, which means your vitality. And that ojas, that vitality, which is everything vital, not just vital sex, but it's vitality in life, radiance in life. It's ojas is like what a baby looks like, a glowing baby. You know, it's the glow of a baby. Ojas is unconditional love. It's purity. And that ojas is a byproduct of your reproductive essence. So it sits under all your tissues. It's a byproduct of all your digestion and it's the final product of digestion. And it's where 
physiology and consciousness meet. And then that fluid gets produced, which is reproduction, but not only reproduction for all your other tissues and your health. So that's awesome. I'm interested in what does it look like in a more practical sense, especially for men around our reproductive health. I don't know what the Ayurvedic beliefs are, but I know that masturbation and ejaculation, there's different philosophies. Some people say you should do more of it. Some people say you should do less of it. Anything that you think is relevant to modern men, especially another big topic is like even watching pornography. Does that affect the sexual and reproductive health through the Ayurvedic lens? Yeah, sure. So there's even different views in the Vedic system. Ayurveda has common views and Ayurveda is getting more on the health, more on the body. But in the Vedas, you know, some views will say only have sex for reproduction Mm -hmm. to to have children. But I don't recommend that. And okay, let's just quick on pornography. It's definitely not a good thing because it really messes up with the hormones and the dopamine. And we spoke about that a bit last time about the dopamine, just hits of energy. And these, you know, when you're using pornography, you, and it happens as well with women with vibrators and dildos is that you're getting these experiences with then it's detached from a true sexual experience. And then, then you get into the experiences and it's again, you get these quick dopamine hits, quick ejaculation, quick finish and all these things. And it just a quick hit of dopamine, they all become that. But like how often to ejaculate, for example, in Ayurveda, there's many different views and it's according to the season. So it's said in the winter, and this is for both men and women, you can have more sex. In the winter, we are more strong. Maybe you experience that because our digestive fire, which we call Agni, is like huddled into our body to keep us warm. So we have an increased appetite in the winter. And also we have more strength. You do more exercise, you work out more and you have more sex. So it's advised. And of course, it depends on the person. You know, in Ayurveda, there's different body types or different constitutions. You know, there's the three general constitutions and Vata is the skinny, more air and, and space element. And then the Pitta is more fire We'll start with the vatas, more air and space. So they're more smaller framed and more hyperactive. And they will have a bit more weaker sexual power by nature, which by the way, this is not determining anything because your mind is the king in all this and it Mm. can change, but that's just the physical aspect. And then the pitta is more fire. It's more those people who are like, want to go, go, go all the time and very passionate and driven and zealous drive and they you know can have moderate sex but again they'll they probably think they're better at sex than they are and their excess fire can cause that release of ejaculation too quick and their inability to kind of maintain that grounded calmness and then the kapha people kapha is the earth and water element so that they're, they're very grounded they're very stable they're heavy and they definitely are good in the bedroom because they have that stability and that calmness. They're like a rock and they're very grounded. And Kapha is basically also like Ojas. They have very similar qualities. They're both unctuous, which means like oily. They're both cold. They're both slimy, many qualities they share. So, you know, knowing your body type, knowing your age, you know, knowing your state of disease, if you have one, you know, where are your weaknesses? So it definitely applies to everyone differently, you know, how often to have sex, but when you look at the seasonals, it's more in the winter and less in the summer. And, you know, even things like replenishing, I mentioned, so foods like hot milk, like cow's milk and ghee, which is clarified butter. These are foods that directly build ojas 
and you want to build OJAS in general if you want vitality, immunity, reproductive essence, but especially after you have sex, whether you ejaculate or not, especially you ejaculate, you want to replenish that OJAS so you don't feel depleted and so that you kind of maintain that high vibration love rather than just, oh, I'm finished with sex and it's over and I'm just happy to comfort myself. I just want to go to sleep, something like that. Yeah. So there's, and there's many herbs as well for the OGES, which are more specific and many other activities rather than ingesting substances. Excellent. I just had a question that I remember popped up when we were talking about sex before. You mentioned orgasm. So you said that orgasm and ejaculation can be depleting. Was that specifically for men? Is it different for women that when women have an orgasm that it's energy enriching or is it the same typically? No, it was more for men that it can be depleting. Mm-hmm. can for women as well. Like they can have an orgasm and they also done, they've had enough. Mm-hmm. So that's one aspect of it, of the physical. But again, I haven't mentioned, but the mind is the king. So when the mental state comes into this, and I'm not saying or- orgasms and ejaculation is bad, it's definitely not, but it should be celebrated and it should be done in a loving way. And this goes just back to basics of pornography, masturbation as well. And all the things you asked is all the sexual relationships should be love and not lust. The lust will become depleting, the love will become enriching and energizing. Simple as that. Hmm. So this is again with, you know, masturbation, you know, I don't see very good things in it. I do recommend, you know, in Ayurveda, we recommend giving yourself a massage every day with oil for everyone before your shower. Like we wash ourselves every day, we also give ourselves an oil massage to lubricate our body because there's epidemics of dryness dry stool, dry period, dry bowel motion, dry brain, which leads to neurological disorders. So lubricating regularly, feeding the microbiome that lives on our skin, moving the lymphatic system, moving the blood circulation, and most importantly, and most noticeably, to pacify the nervous system when you put oil in your body and massage yourself. This is an everyday thing. It's a daily routine. Mm. And for that, also during the self-massage, which you should be doing every day, unless you're on your period as a woman, by the way, because again, you don't want to create that blood circulation everywhere. You just want to leave it in the pelvic region. Mm-hmm. You also can massage your genitals and not in a way to just release or ejaculate or masturbate. It's not a masturbation. It's just nourishing that area and getting to know it as well. Mm-hmm. Like we spoke about last time, like there's more prostate cancer than breast cancer. Like prostate issues are huge. And if you're regularly feeling your testicles and massaging them, you will notice when something comes up. Studies have shown like that medical systems recommend, allopathy recommends to do that, to check your testicles. Mm-hmm. That can be, you know, life-saving. You can prevent stuff. You know, here we are, man. We've done like 170 episodes of this podcast and no one's ever come on and encouraged men to inspect and massage their testicles. I mean, mm. I just had a flashback. My mom had breast cancer when I was nine years old. And when she survived, she was a huge advocate for early detection because that's what saved her life. And, you know, my mom's a warrior. She got into the schools and she convinced the schools to talk to the teenage girls about this. And so naturally they held an assembly for the girls. They wanted someone to come in and talk to the boys. And I remember we had this guy come out. I don't remember what he looked like, but he was just kind of an older dude. And he was telling us about how he had testicular cancer and he had to have one of his testicles removed and he talked to us about prevention. And I don't know about the other guys. I was maybe 12, 13 years old. It was uncomfortable to listen to an older guy talk about his balls, but mm-hmm. it was something that I started to do and I'm kind of in the habit of doing it. I remember I did. he told us to do it. I think it was like at least once every couple of weeks, just do a real good inspection. 
And even now I just noticed that I just do that periodically. And I would definitely notice if something was off. I think a lot of guys would, but some wouldn't if you don't take that kind of care of yourself. So <laughs> we were covering all of our bases here, man. We never covered that one, but I'm glad that you brought that up because that's so important. Another thing is what the typical tests they do for prostate cancer, which is a PSA blood test is inadequate. Uh-huh. So it's another reason to be self-examining. Uh-huh. One other thing, Jetty, which I think is important is about contraceptive methods mm. because us men play a big role. You know, as men, we have to support our woman in what contraceptive method they're going to choose. Mm-hmm. And we need to know about each contraceptive method. And this is actually a really big topic, so we won't go that deep. But like knowing what the pill does, knowing what the IUD does, the marina IUD, the cop IUD, then there's vasectomies of men, which is when a man chops off the tube which sends semen from the testicles to the urethra, they still ejaculate, but it's not going into the body. So they fill the ejaculate orgasm. And that's what people are considering for contraceptive. And as a man, like I don't recommend you do that at all because once you start doing things with the system, with your reproductive organs, then the other organs compensate and it will essentially deplete your reproductive essence. Talk to me about this. We just had our second child. So we've been actively in this conversation. I pretty much resigned myself to, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I don't, any of the other contraceptive methods, I definitely don't want to have my wife do any of that to her body. This seems like Mm. the least invasive. And it's funny because I've just been forgetting to book it and look into it. But now that I'm hearing you say this, I always had this sort of like a Bob Marley-esque, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. If there's nothing wrong with my body, why would I try to do anything to intervene with it, with its natural functions? Not because I'm scared of pain or because I'm scared of a surgery, but there's something about it that just didn't seem right. So tell me a little bit more about the vasectomy and what your understanding of it is. Well, you were considering it? I still am. In fact, okay. if not for, you know, my lack of organization in that department, I might already have done it. Okay. Okay. So yeah, as I said, it's actually called the vas deferens and it's going from the bladder and they just cut it. So it's a tube where the semen travels. And basically it's like you have this circle, the channels, we call them schroeters. So all these circulatory, our body's made up of schroeters. Maybe you've heard in the yoga system, nadi, all these channels, whether it's the channel holding blood circulation, holding lymph, channel moving kundalini energy when you want to get subtle, channel moving semen, all these channels in our body, our body's made up of channels and also of the tissues that travel through the channels. So when you cut one of those channels, like you would the vas deferens when you get a vasectomy, you're disturbing that circle. It's a creative intelligence of circular energy that is circulating in the reproductive organs and that cuts it off. And then the other aspects of your reproductive organs will become weaker. Mm. It's basically you're disrupting the circular intelligence to put it simply. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And you know, like, It's never good to do surgeries like that, you know, especially electively. Of course, if it needs to be done, you know, I work a lot with surgery patients and especially cancer, getting things out removed and things cut out. But, you know, in contraception, my favorite way is barrier methods like condoms. And in addition to that, you can start doing natural fertility awareness. So we're learning about your women's cycle. When are they fertile. There's now wonderful devices that have 99 plus percent success rate of determining whether the woman's fertile or not. And they take their temperature every morning and it gives a green light if you're fertile. And if it's red, then you're safe. Mm. 99 plus percent accurate. And which is the same accuracy as condoms and the pill. And when you are, if they are fertile and you want to have sex, which definitely will happen because you're fertile and you're ovulating, then use the condom that time. And then other times you don't have to. And 
And of course, then we can go into, you know, sexual, which is a bit definitely more advanced and takes time for men who want to do that if, you know, learning to control your ejaculation and your sexual energy and things like that. But the pill is a huge no-no because it stops the ovulation. So people don't understand that when you have your menstrual period, when you're on the pill, you're not having a period. The bleeding is not a menstrual bleed. It's a pill bleed. It's a chemical reaction bleed. The woman is not menstruating and they are not ovulating. The main problem is, well, there's two problems. You're not menstruating and we spoke about how important it is to menstruate. Right. And you're not ovulating, which you're not getting that Shakti, that divine feminine energy, that immune system, that bone health, all that comes when you ovulate. Mm. So the pill... And again, I don't recommend having foreign objects like IUDs. However, I definitely would prefer a woman to have a copper IUD over the pill or over a vasectomy. But when you look at each woman's difference, some people have reactions to the IUDs, which for those who don't know, an IUD is like a, it looks like a T-shaped piece, like a little T of either if it's copper or a hormone one, and you just stick it in the vagina and it's clinically inserted by a doctor and they it creates an ability to conceive. So there's so many different methods, but just supporting, because, you know, men will be like, I love my woman on the pill. I can just have sex and ejaculate as much as I want, but come on, fellas, like we need to respect their body, especially if it's your partner and you plan to have children in the future, because I deal with a lot of infertility in my clinic and I've spoken to many fertility experts and a key cause of infertility is contraception use in the past, particularly the pill, because your body loses its natural ability to do its job, to secrete its hormones, to ovulate. Yeah, man. I think it's just so important for us to be having conversations like this. I'm really grateful that you brought so much of that information in because I know that this is not something that guys are sitting around talking about. Even when they see the show notes for this episode, I can see a lot of guys (laughs) rolling their eyes and saying, well, what do I care about IUDs and contraception? But man, I mean, like you said, if we're really taking responsibility for our lives, and our families and for the future generations, the way that we talk about on this show. That's like the cornerstone message is, hey, your life is not really just about you. It's about more than just that. Then there's a broader, more robust conversation we can have about our contribution to society. And even something like contraception right? and the way we choose to do that and the way we support women and show up for the women in our lives when they're menstruating, all of those things matter. They're all parts to that greater puzzle, the way that we can be in greater harmony with ourselves, with each other and with the planet. And so you also left the door open, man. It's funny. We're gonna have to do another conversation to talk about contraceptive practices and all and sexual, you know, mastering our sexual energies. I've had a couple of guests on here who are speaking about it more from a tantric perspective. Is that related to Ayurveda? Is that part of Ayurveda? Yeah, that, it's related. And I must say, Jetty, I'm learning about that now more. I'm definitely not an expert or master. And that's something right. that I intend to study more and how to master that sexual energy and deal with it. But for me, what I've learned, I mean, we can talk about it another time, but it, it's just all comes <laughs> down to love. Love versus lust is the fundamental. Man, that might be another great conversation to have (laughs) because especially in speaking with a lot of young guys, we'll just open it up and then we'll leave it open-ended because a lot of young guys I talk to, and I know myself included, based on the relationship we had with pornography, based on the relationship we had with honoring our lust for so long, that lustful energy that was connected to our instincts to reproduce, it creates a lot of these ineffective patterns for long-term committed partnership where all of a sudden you find yourself in a relationship with a partner and you're constantly battling your own lust for all of the women that you see. And it's this conversation of, well, biologically, we're going to be attracted to whoever and whomever we're attracted to. We can't control our attractions, but the way we're in relationship with those attractions is what matters. And 
you know, things like pornography and giving into those lustful instincts or impulses is something that we have to train ourselves out of. And that can be very difficult. It takes a lot of consciousness and a lot of time. You don't just snap your fingers and say, okay, I don't want to lust after other women anymore. I want to be committed to my partner. So yeah, maybe that's a conversation for another day. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot to say on that. And, you know, where attention goes, energy flows. So as you said, it's not going to happen overnight. What are you putting your attention on? And how do you purify those patterns out of you? And it's not by trying to reject them and reject the lust. And it's bring the pure things into your life. Bring the love, bring the self-massage to yourself, to your partner, to meditate. All these, that will naturally purify these out. That's beautiful, man. Well, uh, go ahead and drop your information again. For anyone who wasn't listening the first time you were on here, tell us where we can find you and get to work with you and listen to your podcast too. My business name is Vital Veda and you know it has a podcast which we explore health consciousness, spirituality, and relationships. Then there's an Instagram, which I post the most, Vital Veda. And vitalveda.com.au is where you can find blogs and awesome herbs and aphrodisiacs and (laughs) so many things. And there you can book a consultation with me if you want to re-enliven your memory of perfect health, which you have. You know, we don't remove the disease. We bring back the health and then the disease dissipates. Awesome, man. Well, thank you again for coming on so quickly for chapter two. Usually I wait a little while to bring people back, but we just had to have this conversation. So thanks for making time and stepping away from your clinic and your patients to chat about this, man. Good luck out there. And we'll look forward to having you back again. Thanks, Jetty. All right, fam, make sure you go visit us at risingman.org to sign up for the next opportunity we have for you to gather up with a community of men, whether it's online or in person, we got something there for you. So go to risingman.org and check it out. While you're there, make sure you check out the links and resources in the show notes for this episode and every episode of the podcast that my man Julian puts up each and every week. Please subscribe and follow us wherever you're listening to the podcast. Follow us on Instagram at Rising Man Movement and make sure you subscribe to us on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the Rising Man Movement. Big ups to the Power Squad, Sean, Julian, Rowan, Mark, Kyle, and Ryan. I love you guys. Thank you guys. Appreciate you guys. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.